Hey, what's up, crypto family? So today we have got an awesome one for you. We have none other than Jesse Powell, the super impressive co-founder of the titan of crypto exchanges we know as Kraken. Jesse is one cool, impressive dude. You know, I had a great time hanging out with him and talking about just a ton of different things. Such a great time, in fact, it's a two-part series. We cover a lot here, peeps. So like in part one, we talk about um, how he grew up here in the 209. His move to San Francisco, what he thinks of San Francisco, video games, blockchain, how he got into crypto, and a ton more. It's a great time. You know, this guy is truly an OG in the space, and it's awesome to hear his experiences and his thoughts on crypto. So just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beetle shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is the co-founder of the Monarch Wallet host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. And one last thing before we get into this, please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the fam. All right, so now that that's out of the way, let's go check out part one, and I'll catch you on the other side. What is going on, Crypto Family? So today we've got the one and only Jesse Powell. He's the founder of Kraken with us. Awesome. It's a pleasure to meet you in person. Thanks Absolutely. a bunch for making the trek out here, man. It's awesome. Totally, totally. Great to meet you too. You know, this is uh, not too far from my own stomping ground, so it's good to get back uh, in the area, see what's going on. It's awesome, man. You're actually from the 209, right? So you grew That's up right. around here. Yeah. Yeah, Stockton. Yeah. Spent a lot of time in Stockton. Has it changed much since uh, the last time you were back? Uh, well, I haven't gotten into town really, um, but you know, it looks pretty much the same. Lots of lots of trees, lots of open space, lots of cows. Uh, so. <laughs> you miss you miss the cars and the commute and the smog. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. No. So, do you do you live in San Francisco now, or is yeah. that uh, okay? So, you're uh, like in the heart of the city, or you kind of live out of it a little bit? Yeah, uh, downtown. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, Soma, basically in in the heart of uh, the zombie wasteland. <laughs> yeah, I used to love I used to love San Francisco. I mean, I still do but uh, years ago man I actually stepped in human crap <laughs> you know what I mean and I guess it's one of those places that uh, I guess has like 10,000 reports a month or something like that of human feces and all that kind of stuff it's insane it's uh, it's only escalated since you stepped in it it's uh <laughs> I've been there for about seven years and um it was pretty nice when I first moved there um but it's just deteriorated over time and then like the, the open drug dealing open drug use open defecation in the streets you know, it's it's just gone totally off the rails there. Yeah, it's nutty, man. I know they were talking about bringing in kind of like what was like a battleship or an aircraft carrier or something like that to to house the homeless. Did you hear about that? Or are they going to put them on the ship? I didn't hear about that, but you know, I feel like it's one of these these kind of supply demand equilibrium things. It's just like if you increase the supply of services, you're just going to have more people coming in. Uh, and you know, I think California generally is suffering from this problem. I mean, we keep trying to like up the services that we provide, but uh, we're just treating symptoms. You know, we're not really like treating the, the ultimate issue. And that's like a, a national issue really. And, you know, in California, there's, there's a massive housing issue as well. And, um, you know, I think trying to house these people in California and give them treatment in California where, uh, you know, or in San Francisco specific, specifically, this is like the most expensive city in the country 
one of the most expensive cities in the entire world. Um, why are we trying to provide these services to people in the most expensive venue possible? You know, I, I think, you know, in part of the path to um, recovering from addiction is I think you got to get out of your environment. You know, you can't be in a recovery program and every day be walking by your dealer <laughs> on your way to the program, you know, or walking by the people you have debts to on your way to the program. So, you know, I think it's helpful to get people out of their environment and why not take them to a place where you can offer them services at, you know, a tenth of the price. You know, there's plenty of land all over the rest of the country. Stay out of Lodi. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think stay out of California. There's just, it's too expensive in California. There's too much regulation. The, the real estate's too expensive. Um, you know, go to Nevada, go to Arizona, go to Texas, whatever. There, there's plenty of space out there where we could have uh, a more effective use of the money that we're spending on this stuff. So I think it's just general mismanagement of, of the issue broadly. Yeah, we see that uh, just across the U.S. and in California because you know we see it every day. We live here, you know, we we definitely see it, you know, a little bit a little bit closer than like maybe some of the issues in like New York, right? Because we're from here. But uh, you know, San Francisco's got so much heritage. I mean, it's such such a beautiful city when you kind of take away all the other stuff and all the all the cool people that are there and all the cool companies, you know, like mm-hmm. Kraken. I mean, there's so much stuff going on there. You know, it's it's kind of a shame that it has these issues, but hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, not just California but other places will be able to kind of clean that up as well. So uh, when you were a kid, man, growing up here, what'd you do, man? What uh, what'd you do for fun? Are you uh, in football, baseball, track, or, you know, martial arts? What what'd you do? I did some martial arts. Uh, I did some gymnastics. Um, I did karate for a few years. Can you do like that Van Dam, you know, where they like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the splits. I could do the splits. Um, I never kicked two guys in the head at the same time. Uh, Damn, that was the my air. next question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I used to be I used to be super flexible and, and do all that stuff. Uh, and then I did uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a few nice. years, did Muay Thai for a bit. Um, you know, we know some of the same guys who, who are in the MMA circles around here. Um, so yeah, I was pretty into that. Um, I also played a lot of Magic the Gathering yeah. around here at, at some of the card shops. Good old Comic Grapevine. <laughs> yeah, the Comic Grapevine, man. Like that's where it all went down. It is still um, here. They move locations over off of Cherokee, but it is okay. still here. Yeah. There's another one in uh, Stockton. They used to have the one right there on Lota Avenue, you know, yep. for, for years and yep. years, right next to the vacuum cleaner. That's the one uh, that I was at, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think now it's, uh, isn't it over there next to the, uh, uh, it's kind of the kebab place over there? Yeah, so it's now it's off Cherokee, but okay. uh, yeah, still there, still alive and well. So what uh, what games are you into now? Uh, lately, I've been playing a bit of Hearthstone. Um, you know, not a whole lot of time for games these days. Um, it's a commitment, man. It is a commitment. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, what I like about Hearthstone is that you can casually play a game in like 10 minutes. You know, it's easy to pick it up and put it down. You don't have to get totally immersed in, you know, an eight-hour raid with, with your whole team. <laughs> uh, so, you know, games like World of Warcraft, and I just don't have time for, for that kind of commitment anymore. Um, so I look for, like, things I can play quickly. Um, I used to play a lot of Street Fighter, too. And, a noogan. Yeah. <laughs> what was your character, man? Uh, I play a lot of Ryu. There you go. Um, yeah. Ken, Guile. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the classics, man. I yeah, love yeah. that. I used to walk down and play those, you know, the actual video game machines, you know, and then they went to like, uh, was it Nintendo or something like that? And, you know, sit there and play our oh, buddies. Yeah. Man, way back in the day. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Things have come a long way. Now we got uh, VR and augmented reality and all that kind of stuff, you know, right on its heels. So yeah. It's we're talking, crazy. We were talking earlier about being able to work out and actually like be able to, uh, you know, shoot and run from this treadmill with the, the cage around you and 
get our uh, exercise in. That that sounds you know pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, man. You know, from from where it all came from. So that would be sweet. I think virtual reality is uh, is moving quickly and it's getting more and more awesome by the day. And pretty soon, I think people will be spending the more majority of their time in the VR world uh, more than in real life. Yeah, especially like in some of these countries. I forget where it was. It was in China or Japan. They had, uh, I think, they had more men than than women, and they got so into video games that now they just have like you know fake wives, and <laughs> they're not even going to be populating you know the country anymore because there's so many people there that are going to the to the VR side of things that they forgot that they actually need a real human mate. Right? Yeah. So they might actually you know video games might be the extinction of some species. <laughs> this is definitely a problem. Yeah, I, I've seen this in like Japan as well. There's there's just like. Uh, negative population growth issue where yeah i mean like the the tv shows and the video games just become so good that why would you go out into the real world and do anything um yeah this is a problem that's, that's crazy man so what was your favorite video game growing up though like the one that uh you know you spent the most time on definitely street fighter um street fighter 2 mm-hmm. but um after that like the final fantasy series gotcha. played a lot of that you were playing contra Oh yeah, yeah there you go. a lot of Contra. You know, we had a, the, the NES since I was in like first grade or something. Uh, so yeah, I played a lot of all of the stuff on Nintendo um, and then got a Super Nintendo. And one of my fondest memories as a child was uh, we had a Super Nintendo and uh, the kids, like me and my brothers and sister, were all saving up to buy the Zelda game. Yes. We were like washing cars and raking leaves and like doing whatever to try to like earn this 50 bucks to buy the game or whatever. And it was just taking forever. And uh, one day my dad came home from work and he had bought us the game. And we were just like, this is like the best day of our lives, you know. Like, Christmas came early. Yeah. Man. Like, it's oh like my God. It's like 20 grand. It's like, we got Zelda. <laughs> totally. Like. That was just amazing, and then my dad said, "All right, let's let's use the money you collected to uh, we'll buy pizza for dinner with that." And like that was like, "Oh my god!" Like we got this game and we got pizza. Like, yeah, it was like Christmas. Man, you will never forget that day. That's no, awesome. that was insane. Like for a kid, that was just like ridiculous. Yeah, what do you think about all the stuff like these video games on the blockchain? You think that that's uh, too far in the future? Do you think it's actually going to work? Do you think they need to be more centralized to start and then decentralized? Because you have all these people talking about how they have these decentralized blockchains. They're going to be these immense gaming platforms. And it's like us knowing blockchain in its current state. Do you think it's just pie in the sky? Or do you think it's, uh, you think it's something that's going to be real in the next few years? I think it's still early days for that. But I'm not sure what the benefit really is to like a totally decentralized video game. You know, I think there are clear benefits to having it be centralized. But I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Like, what what is the, the like the competitive edge, or like what's the use case for having a totally decentralized game? Why is that important? You know, is it that you want to do easier for them to raise money, right? <laughs> decentralized blockchain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you attach a coin, anything, I guess, like that. You know, that is a reason for the founders of it to to do it that way. But you know, I don't know. We're seeing some like government crackdown on loot boxes and maybe you want to do loot boxes and maybe if you have a decentralized game you can do loot boxes i don't really know what the the value prop is there you know i've, I've seen some discussion of like well if it's on the blockchain you can have your items that you move from one game to another game but you know i don't even know if game developers really want that kind of portability of like items between games and i think you also want to have as if you have an in-game economy you know one of the the biggest issues that the games have is 
managing that economy, managing inflation and bots and stuff like that and, and making the game still enjoyable for the real players and not just the bots that are farming all the items. And you know, you see this in like World of Warcraft, other similar games. Inevitably, people are writing bots. The bots are playing games like 24-7. You know, you got 10 times as many bots playing as people, which they'll find all the items, they'll find all the gold, which creates this like massive inflation, basically, like reduces the scarcity of items, reduces the value of gold or the currency. And then the people that are playing are not feeling anymore like they're finding things that are worth anything. You know, like you find the rarest sword and now it's only worth 10 bucks instead of a hundred bucks. And like, now it's just not exciting to play. So the game developers have to kind of manage the bots and try to keep the bots out from, uh, from ruining the economy, you know, basically. I mean, it'd be like if tomorrow we just have a million robots appear that are doing, you know, like 90% of the jobs of, of people. We'd be like, oh crap, uh, you know, like how is that affecting the economy of, of the world? And, um, you know, I think you need to have the ability to do that to, to effectively manage your in-game economy to reduce the impact on, of bots and inflation and all this stuff. So I'm pretty bearish on, on these blockchain games. Um, you know, I think if you're just playing them for fun, that's cool, whatever. It's, it's interesting that it's on the blockchain, but I don't really see like a huge advantage to having your game on the blockchain. In fact, I see some, some disadvantages of it. So I don't know, maybe there's an argument for it that I just haven't heard. Yeah, one of the things that I keep hearing is, you know, you're going to have portability of assets, right? So you're going to be able to take your shield from one game to the next game to mm -hmm. the next game. And I'm like, but hold on, those are all different games that were created by different people. Can you imagine the bugs that we're going to get? Oh, you yeah. I mean, it's like you put a shield on, next thing you know, it's a parachute or something because it just, just crashes the game because how can you possibly know all the code yeah. and being able to just, you know, basically just port over assets like that? So yeah. I think it's a little pie in the sky early, you know, but uh, who knows? I mean, who knows? You know, it's crazy what's, uh, what's coming and what may end up coming after all, right? Yeah. You know, one thing that I, I do think is interesting about having these portable assets is, you know, so one problem with World of Warcraft Gold is that Blizzard, uh, who, who's the developer of World of Warcraft, can just ban your account at any time. So you can't really have a bank account in World of Warcraft. You can't trust that your money's gonna be there because they can just ban your account at any time. You know, and in fact, they do ban accounts regularly. If they find you doing uh, what they call RMT or real money trading, um, if they find you selling your gold for dollars or whatever, they could just ban your account. And I've known guys that have had accounts with like $100,000 worth of equipment on it that have just been banned uh, by them with no recourse. So you can't trust your WoW account as like a bank account um, because it can be banned at any time. So, you know, I think one of the benefits of maybe having a system where the game developer actually can't just ban your account is that it is maybe more like a, a reliable bank account. You know, if you, you know you have that, you earn that super rare sword, no one can just take it from you and you can sell it anytime you want or you can use it as collateral for something. I mean, you could, you could imagine a world where you've got the super rare item in the game and you post that as collateral, you know, for your, your down payment on your house or, you know, a mortgage or whatever. Um, you can collateralize it where, as with World of Warcraft Gold, there's not really a way that you can offer up your WoW character as collateral for, for something. It's interesting. It's one of the things that I've always said about YouTube is it would be cool to have, you know, the actual video storage centralized for speed. 
but then all of your subscribers, all of that being decentralized to where you own it. Yeah. So if there's a way to do that to where you could have the speed of a centralized video game, but a wallet or you know a way to actually house all of the assets mm-hmm. in a decentralized manner to even if they shut off your account, you still own all that stuff. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. That would be really cool. I think that's the future. Yeah, that'd be sweet, man. So as far as like, um, you know, you're, you're from here, you get uh, wife, kids, any of that kind of stuff for people that, uh, you know, don't, don't know you that well? No wife or kids. Um, I try not to talk about my personal life, though, you know, gotcha. just because security risks everyone, everyone who publicly is affiliated with me is potentially uh, a vulnerability. So, you know, I try to keep a low profile. Um, you know, I'm not on social media. I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not like, you know, posting daily updates on Facebook or anything uh, like that. I try to to really stay low and, and also to warn the people around me, you know, warn my family, say, hey, look, like just FYI, you know, the hackers are probably thinking, okay, Jesse's got all this built-in security around him. He's a careful guy, but maybe Jesse's mom is not so careful. So I'm going to go after that. And, you know, it's definitely... Um, people are at risk you know so i warn them like hey be careful you know don't don't post all over your facebook page i don't know who you got that shared with you know that like you're hanging out with me or that you know whatever now it's my birthday you're saying happy birthday to me and now the hackers know you know they're following you and now they know my birthday stuff so, like that is jesse's passcode 527 <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so you know yeah, it sucks the you know it sucks the world we live in a little bit you know where there's so many people out there that you know basically just try to steal rather than create you know it's it sucks but um yeah, yeah you, you've been to the sober voice of reason through twitter you know countless times which is you know a lot of stuff i think the press has picked up on too so um you know you may not be that active in social but when you are you say things that usually have a lot of meaning and um, add clarity and, and like i said it's kind of the voice of reason through the crap storm of all the stuff that's going on out there you know kind yes. of like uh Oh, thank you. Um, you know, like for instance, like with Quadriga and all these different things, that, you know, all these different exchange hacks, or are they hacks? I mean, you give different perspective, and it's uh, it's, it's definitely appreciated. You know, from the crypto community, and uh, even even the way you talk back to uh, you know you know different uh, ruling bodies. You know, it's uh, it's always interesting, and um, it's it's cool uh, the stuff that you do say when you when you do speak through social. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like it's it's hard to know what's happening inside. Uh, a crypto exchange, you know, or any business really from the outside, you know, a lot of people can only speculate what happens. So I feel like um, to the extent we can give a little color about what's going on in the industry, you know, when another exchange is hacked or when they make a statement that seems like very suspect, you know, I think it's kind of our duty to to say something about it and to, to give people, you know, some, some insider information about, you know, what is it really like at a crypto exchange? How could they have potentially been hacked or what kind of problems could the regulator be creating for them? Or, you know, what is what is the right amount of resistance to to give to a regulator or what is um, what are the banking problems, you know, that the exchanges are having, uh, you know, like this tether issue as one example. You know, these guys were using um, crypto capital, which turned out to be, you know, as far as we can tell so far. <clears throat> A really bad place to to leave your money and you know they obviously wouldn't have gone with such a shady operator had they been able to get an ordinary bank account you know so that's not something that's easy to do in this space still today so you know this kind of stuff is you know just as in any industry if you make something that people really want to do illegal 
They're just going to go to the black market. They're going to find shadier ways, riskier ways to do it. And I mean, that's what we've seen with Tether, obviously. And, you know, people can blame them for having this money seized or whatever. But, you know, the reality is they were kind of forced into that position by the banking industry or by the regulators that told the banking industry, don't bank crypto companies. Uh, so, you know, I think there's a, you know, this kind of gets to like the consumer protection issue generally is when the regulators are thinking about how to protect consumers, they got to think about whether they're just driving consumers into the black market for things, uh, you know, to do the back alley deals, or are they, are they actually, when they ban a behavior, can they actually enforce the ban? Can they really stop people from doing it or not? You know, or is it just going to make the situation worse? Yeah, like they say in Jurassic Park, life will find a way. So exactly, <laughs> you ban it, they'll just do it somewhere else. But uh, do you think do you think Tether was? And you don't have to answer this, I guess. But do you think Tether was inflating the price of Bitcoin? Do you think that led to some of the escalation in price we saw back in seventeen? Uh, it does look like they were actually buying crypto with the with the money that was supposed to be, or at least uh, it led us to believe was kept, you know, just in dollars. Um, but you know, I don't think I don't think any one entity can really drive up the price of crypto that much for that long. Um, you know, I think uh, it just takes so much money really to yeah. move the price, and um, you know, I think it was it was just the whole world piling on at that point. I mean, we were getting fifty thousand new users a day back, you know, end of twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen. What was like? What was that like for you guys? Because everything was just kind of like you know, just inching along, and then boom, right? You had fifty thousand a day. Yeah, I mean, it was madness. You know, where everyone is just burnt out, you know, trying to keep <laughs> up, getting buried with tickets. You know, and every day it was like, okay, we got twenty thousand tickets today. Just you know, we're just going to get through what we can. You know, we're working you know eighteen hours a day, and then. Hopefully tomorrow we'll get a break. You know, the next break is like 22,000 tickets. You know, it's like 24,000 tickets. You know, so we were just like hiring as fast as we could, um, trying to bring people on to, to satisfy the demand. Um, but, you know, people, uh, I think a lot of our, us were among the exchanges were probably doing the same work unnecessarily because um, what we learned, well, we knew this before, but we knew that basically the longer you wait to onboard somebody, uh, the less their lifetime value is. So uh, if, you, if you get them in within like five minutes, they upload their KYC docs, they're in in five minutes, like you're good, great. They're not going anywhere. They're gonna trade with you. But if you wait like 24 hours, in the meantime, they've been thinking like, oh man, this is taking too long. I need to get in now. Right. You know, and then like they've applied to like five other exchanges and whoever gets to them first is like where they're probably gonna stay. So you might get to their KYC like 24 hours later, 48 hours later, and you'll do the work to verify them, but like they're already gone, they're not coming back. So, um, so that's tough, you know, you end up just like working off of this, this backlog of stuff, you're doing this work, and really it's like for someone who, who's not even a customer anymore. No, that's that's brutal. I know exactly what you mean. And that, and then all the silly questions that you get. Oh yeah. Because they just don't understand how blockchain works or how crypto works, and they think you stole their money, or you know they don't have access to something, and they just don't understand. Yeah. Like for instance, to to send a, a token, they don't understand that they need Ethereum in their wallet to send a token. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So if uh, <laughs> if you get some kind of decentralized wallet or something like that, they think that oh my god, it's a scam. I can't send my money. It's locked. It's like no, dude, you've got an ERC twenty token. You need 
need Ethereum to power the network to actually send it. So yeah. you, it's the education of all these people as you go along too. So those 22,000 tickets that you might get, how much of that was like education? Just like, oh, huge. it's not really your fault. You know, it's just like, they don't understand what they're doing yet. Yeah. And so you're just kind of having to coach them along and it's just sucking like, the life out of your crew. <laughs> yeah, vast majority are, are that kind of stuff. People not knowing um, what they're doing or um, accidentally sending tether to a Bitcoin address <laughs> or something like that uh, or, um, just having never, never sent a wire transfer before in their life or expecting, um, you know, their payment to, to arrive instantly or whatever, you know, they, they've become accustomed to whatever from, from their life. And, uh, they just expect this crypto to work exactly the same way, not understanding the risks to, to the exchange or any, how bl blockchain confirmations work or any of that stuff. And, um, I hit send, it's not my wallet. Where'd it go? Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, so I sent it, but it's not there. So like you scammed me. Exactly. Yeah, so like, yeah, and I think like the banking system being a black box is tough. And, you know, for us, um, the quantity of transfers that were coming through, like uh, our banks and our payment partners, it was also like, they got massively slammed too. You know, it's not just us, but like, they're not prepared either. And um, so they got slammed. And they're also trying to hire people or, or maybe they think, well, this is, is this a temporary thing? Um, we can't hire more people. We don't want to hire more people if this is temporary because it's just a fad. It's yeah, not going to be here next week. Yeah, it'll be gone next week. <laughs> and, and we can't hire 10 more people because it takes us six months to fire somebody because yeah, you HR. Know, yeah, you're in California. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, they're all union and yeah. whatever, you know, so um, they're just bottlenecks down the chain. And uh, you got to deal with all that. Uh, but, you know, it's obviously the great thing about crypto. You know, you don't really have these bottlenecks with crypto apart from blockchain congestion. But, you know, you can at least see where the money is at any given time and, and what's happening, which is awesome. You know, dramatic improvement over the current system. Yeah. Yeah. You got to love the transparency, right? So yeah. what's what's like maybe something you know about exchanges that other people don't? Like maybe what's... It could either be, you know, something that drives you nuts or something you love or, or just, you know, some of the challenges with, you know, crypto exchanges that other people just aren't privy to. They just have no idea. They just think it's magic internet money and it should just poof, be there. or Everything <laughs> should be seamless. And, you know, what, what's some of the frustrations or oh, the revelations you've come to? A lot of, a lot of things going on. Um, you know, we got to deal with so many tokens. And um, I think some people ask us to list tokens that... Uh, would really be a lot of work. I mean, these tokens are like alpha stage or like pre-alpha stage tokens. And um, sometimes to list token that's in that stage would require a tremendous amount of resource, maybe a full-time developer, because we've got to make sure that we don't lose money somehow. You know, that this blockchain isn't constantly forking or rolling back, or they're not making updates that somehow we missed that causes to, to get out of sync with the chain or causes or you know, there was some exploit or something that they patched. So we tend to prefer more stable coins and more stable chains, um, not things that are like constantly updating with you know, issues because we've got a limited number of devs. You know, we can't just like pull devs off of other things and say, okay, like they're gonna be two full-time devs on this tiny little new coin. Um, it's just not worth the the opportunity cost for us. So yeah, and you got two thousand dollars a day in volume going through it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like we're we're like a volume business, right? And I guess we could we could potentially set up like a different fee structure or something uh, to where like doing these smaller coins would be worthwhile. But then, is it still 
something people are going to want to trade if we have to right. charge like $10 on every trade or something. I think that uh, people don't really understand, you know, all of the, the security issues going on. You know, obviously, tremendous amount of people still leaving way too much money on the exchange. So obviously, either they're just, you know, they got their head in the sand or they're newbies and they just expect, you know, that's a bank account and I put my money in the bank and I don't think about the bank losing money. So whatever, you know, I just trust that, that it's going to be there. You know, I think as you spend more time in the space, you, you, you burned a few times and yeah, you quickly realize these exchanges come and go pretty quick and there's no such yeah. thing as insurance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And if there is, it's not going to cover you. It's going to cover the owners of the exchange. Totally. Just a tiny little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's, that's like a massive misconception in the space. And I think that there's some other companies out there that I think are, misrepresenting what kind of insurance they really have. And um, I hope that some more journalists cover this because, you know, I think we don't really know. We don't really know what the the outcome is going to be, you know, in, in an insurance claim. You know, if you say you got insurance up to X amount of money, that's great. But like in what, what conditions does that cover? You know, we've seen insurance fail a few times already in crypto. Look at Katrina, man. Half the sides of the houses, water damage, yeah. other sides. He was like, I forget what they, basically the coverage that they had in, in uh, during the Katrina, like one was flood and one was like hurricane or something like that. And so the people that had hurricane, like, no, nope, sorry, this is flood damage. Yeah. And people that had hurricane damage, like, no, nope, that's flood damage. Exactly. They didn't pay. Yeah. Insurance yeah. is definitely not a sure thing. Um, there was one case I can think of, which was um, BitPay. BitPay got hacked, and they had insurance, and the insurance didn't cover it. Um, they basically said that was your fault. You know, that was not one of the things that was that was covered under your policy. So, sorry. And you know, I think you'll see that. I mean, these policies are so easy to wiggle out of. You know, you really, you really got to roll the dice, and you got to take your your insurance company to court, and you got to really fight to get coverage and you know I think the things that are going to cause these catastrophic failures at exchanges are probably not things that the insurance company is going to cover because you know you got a, a policy for 250 million but you got five billion dollars of client assets I mean that's the real yeah. risk right okay let's say you, you you luck out and magically your insurance is going to cover you for the full 250 million or whatever you know I think that's highly unlikely but let's say they do okay so everyone gets back what like five percent because they got 250 out of 500 million back, you know. Terrifying, yeah. It's, it's, or it's, five, five billion, yeah. <laughs> Terrifying, and that's one of the, you're, you're one of the advocates as well, you know, not your keys, not your crypto, Andreas Antonopoulos, right? Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's crazy. So um, with, with these crypto hacks, I mean, do you think most of these are just real hacks, or do you think it's, you know, these people that work at these exchanges, they'd get paid, you know, a, a small wage and they see all this money flying back and forth and they think, mm -hmm. hey, you know, what if I and my buddy over here just kind of, you know, do a little of this, a little of that, yep. and then next thing you know, the money's gone. And they're like, oh, we're hacked. Yeah. yeah do, you think, do you think that's what's happening? Or do you think there really are just these, you know, these people in hoods, you know, they're just, <laughs> you know, they're just typing away in the dark and next thing you know, they found out they were able to breach an exchange. I, I think, well, I think you got to be extremely careful about who you trust to handle that kind of stuff at your business and you got to pay those people very well. Um, but I, I do think um, that most of these hacks have, have really been, you know, the guys in the hoodies, uh, you know, hacking in the dark, taking the coins. And, and uh, I think it's, we've seen many cases that are a result of like, SIM hijacking, people stealing phone numbers, which allow them to, to 
take over email accounts, which allow them to like reset passwords and like everything else. Michael Turpin. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, uh, I, I think. So you, you think know, they're mostly legitimate hacks for the most part? I think mostly legit hacks. Yeah, I think, um, I think there've been some cases where there were legit hacks and then they were covered up by the exchange operator um, or the exchange operator just disappeared after and maybe it looks like an exit scam or something, but really like got hacked and like didn't want to face the consequences of that. Um, but yeah, I don't think that um, in most cases it's, it's the operator, you know, intentionally stealing the money. Um, I think there are a lot of great hackers out there and, and they're bad guys. And um, unfortunately there's some, just easy ways to slip up and, and, you know, you got to be fully secure hundred percent of the time and they've only got to be able to hack you at that it's, one moment. Yeah. Just one so, time. That's it. So that's why yeah. it's, it's kind of important, I guess, too, that the, uh, the exchanges don't keep all the money that they custody, you know, in hot wallets. Right. So they yeah. keep, you know, most of it in some kind of cold solution. So that way, uh, you know, these hackers can't get to it. Um, have like, for instance, what happened with Binance just recently? Uh, they said forty million dollars. Do you think that was a legitimate hack, or do you think it was them trying to move from to Segwit and then kind of mixing things up a little bit accidentally, and then just saying, "Hey, we were hacked," while they're trying to figure it out? <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know why you would admit to being hacked. I feel like that's probably worse than actually screwing something up. Um, although screwing something up is pretty scary too. It's but, blockchain, man. This stuff happens. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's, <laughs> stuff happens, man. Definitely, <laughs> especially trying to move all that money, and you're trying to bring out new features to Bitcoin when even the Bitcoin programmers themselves make little mistakes. So, yeah. it's this is not you know this is scary. This is yeah. rocket science, man. <laughs> yeah, um, you know I don't know I don't know what to to believe. You know you always got to take what anybody says with a grain of salt. I mean they obviously have an interest in shaping the the public perception in a, in a certain sure. way. Um, and, uh, you know, being truthful might, um, be extremely damaging. So, um, you know, I think you, you'll often see people making up a story that they think maybe is, uh, less damaging than, than what actually happened. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to know what happened there. I think they said something like, um, there were a bunch of API keys compromised and it was like a coordinated strike on the on the accounts but um as far as i know there haven't like been anyone who actually came forward and said oh yeah i was one of the accounts that got hacked so yeah who knows um but there's definitely mass phishing campaigns going on you know people setting up fake websites uh to to fish users credentials and um, you know we've made a big push to remind people every time they log in now like please set up 2FA because, you know, it just takes that, that one time to uh, yeah. accidentally give up your creds to, to a hacker. And then, you know, yeah. we've seen attacks that are not, not even direct um, withdrawals of the coins. But, you know, I think one of the things that happened on Binance was there was a very illiquid order book and um, the hacker set up like a buy order, like way super low, like, you know, like 1% of the normal price. And then just dumped like, you know, $40 million into that book, right. crashing the price down to, to being able to buy it on the other account <clears throat> really cheaply. And then they withdraw it from that other account that's already verified or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some really smart people out there that can do all kinds of crazy stuff. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I looked at was like, well, 
I mean, did he, was it really a hack or were they really just upgrading and, you know, something bad happened and they're like, well, we'll just say we're hacked. So that way, once we fix this, we've got 40 more million dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know, but that's just a conspiracy theorist in me. <laughs> well, I mean, they came up with, um, I mean, they had to cover that money out of pocket, right? I mean, they, the money was lost either way, I guess, just about the, the story that they want to tell. And, you know, sometimes I think it's kind of interesting that the public perception about these like disaster recovery scenarios, I mean, people seem to give more credit to recovering from a hack than have not having ever been hacked. Like, oh, well, they prove they can recover from it. So like now I trust them even more. Whereas like if you've got a totally spotless record and you've never been hacked, they're, they're just like, well, we don't know. We don't know what would happen, how they would handle that. You know, like we can't be sure, but you know. The insurance companies, they actually get rid of those clients when they've never had any kind of incident. You know what I mean? After so many years, if you've never had a claim, they're just like, oh, he's due. Yeah. So we're just gonna dump them, right? So that's a great point, man. Has Kraken ever been hacked at all? No, no hacks. Oh, um, yeah, not awesome. wood. Uh, hopefully, we can keep it that way. But you know, we we are something we worry about constantly. Um, that's huge, man. You guys been around since what, 2013? Yeah, yeah. Exchange wow. launched in 2013. That's a that's a testament, man, to how you guys do things. What I love is your honesty. To where even if you guys were, you would you know be upfront about it and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you know you got to tell people. I mean, it seems now like there's just no stigma about it. You just say you got hacked and as long as you've recovered from it, cool. Everyone's cool. In fact, people will donate or invest more money into your company uh, if you've been hacked. So it seems like we've, we've come away since the, uh, the early days of the hacks where it seems like people can actually turn it around and, and continue to survive as an exchange. And in fact, maybe people even trust them more after having been hacked. So yeah, um, it seems like most of them out there have been. So. Yeah, but uh, you know they just keep getting better and better. The hackers, as well as the security. So I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's not the last of them, right? No, it's an ongoing battle. And you know, I think this is one. You mentioned Quadriga. I think um, I think something to be afraid of is is these smaller exchanges because it takes a certain scale to to actually like afford all of the security that yeah that goes into you know protecting all these funds and doing things the right way. And I think that. Um, you know, a lot of the reason people use Quadruga was they want to support the local exchange. And, you know, I think that's great in an ordinary business. You know, if it's if it's supporting my mom and pop deli or going to Walmart, you know, I'm definitely going to support the, the local mom and pop shop. But um, in a crypto exchange or like a financial institution, you know, you got to imagine it like, OK, this is Fort Knox, right? Like we need tanks and we need guards and, you know, I want like, you know, a badass team protecting my gold. I want SEAL Team um, 6 out front. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I don't want mom and pop protecting, you know, my life savings. We got the fat uh, bouncer from Roadhouse out front. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, those are great points, man. Yeah, those are definitely great points. So, you know, as far as um, some of the some of the smaller ones, I mean, Quadriga was still pretty big, right? I mean, uh, what are mm -hmm. some of the smaller ones right now that you think are maybe vulnerable that are starting to pop up? Or, you know, you have your, um, what did we just have? It was uh, Craptopia or Cratopia that just went out of business, New right? Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So they got hit. And, um, I think yeah. uh, we had Binance that just got hit for 40 mil. And then mm -hmm. we got uh, Quadriga. And I, I thought there was someone else that just got recently hit. Um, you keep hearing rumors all the time about hit BTC and KuCoin having issues and people yeah. are saying, take your money off of them, you know, what's next? So you can kind of hear the, the rumblings. So what you're saying is, is yeah. you know, definitely something to pay attention to. So sometimes you need the, uh, 
the shelter and the and, and the shade of the big guys, right? To to keep your assets safe, or or just you know, like you said earlier, keep them decentralized, right? Keep them yeah. in cold storage, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely control as much of your own funds as you can. Um, it's hard to know, you know, who's insolvent until 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, till they're gone. The end, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you know, let's say you just got to get to the point where the withdrawals start to outpace the new deposits, right? And that can take a very long time. I mean, and it might not happen until they've got nothing left in the bank. You know, they could continue to run, like we saw with Gox. I mean, basically, right. they kept the withdrawals going. I mean, new deposits are coming in. So even though they got nothing in the bank, sort of fueling deposits, you know, it's just like classic Ponzi, right? Like yeah. new money comes in, you pay the, the old withdrawals, you know, so it's not like you can even be sure, okay, I'm going to know when they're, when they're short 20%, you know, or short 50%. It's like, you might not know until they're short hundred percent. Yeah. So it's scary. And obviously, um, the exchanges have an incentive to keep it going as long as they can to generate more fees or to try to turn it around or, you know, whatever, you know, the consumers, you know, just, uh, are going to end up holding the bag in the end. And, you know, we we're in a global environment exchanges all over the world who, dealing with different sets of regulators who may not be regulated at all. Yeah, I mean, very much buyer beware. People gotta do their own research. Um, when you start to see prices get out of sync on an exchange with with the rest of the market, I mean, that's like a big red flag that people are having trouble getting money out. Hey, welcome back everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed part one. Part two, it gets even better. And again, huge thanks to Jesse, man. I got a ton of respect for you. So thanks for making time for us and especially coming out here to hang with us, man. It was awesome. Just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beetle shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is the co-founder of the Monarch Wallet, host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. And one last thing before we get into this, please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the fam. God bless you. I'll catch you on the next one.